Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. A profound passage in which this declaration was found. It's found in 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. Now, this is very, very key. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. And visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And suddenly, the the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli and he said, Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Now let me give you a background to this passage, because it's very interesting to know this passage. This passage is found in the beginning of 1 Samuel, and it's really the beginning writing of establishing the nation of Israel. And Samuel was going to be the one who was called to be the priest, the royal priest, the prophet, who would anoint both Saul and David. But let's go even a little bit before that. Samuel's mom's name was Hannah. And Hannah had a dilemma. She was unable to bear children. She was probably older in age and has probably tried for many, many years. She went to the temple, and when she went to the temple, she was in the corner of the temple where the women would have been, and she was weeping. And she was so overcome with grief that she was praying underneath her breath. Someone's like, is she drunk? Eli actually thought she was drunk. She was so overwhelmed. And in that moment, here is, what, here is what Hannah said to God. God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. He'll serve you his whole life. I'll create his destiny for you. I will give you back my child to honor you. And so she had a baby, and his name was Samuel. And she did exactly what she promised. She brought Samuel, at the right age, probably about 11 or 12 years old, and brought him to Eli. 
And I love what it says in scripture is that God had been silent. There were periods in time when God was silent. There was actually a a 400 year period of time between Malachi and Matthew where God just did not speak. But everyone knew that God does speak. And so all of a sudden, the voice of the Lord, Yahweh, started calling out to Samuel. And what I love about this narrative is because Samuel heard a voice that was familiar. Remember that. He heard a familiar voice. And on three different occasions, he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli because, again, he heard a familiar, distant voice. And by the third time, Eli said, time out. God's up to something. Go back and respond once again. And the word that we see that Samuel had used was the word, the phrase, here I am or I am here, which is hineni. I want you to say it, Hineni. There's something very powerful when you recite the Hebrew translations. Did anyone recite yada this past week? Or if your spouse was driving you crazy, you said yada, 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 right? Right? Or you said you know nada, right? We talked about that last week. But there's something very powerful that, that when I get into that deep place that I'll even like pray, not in Hebrew because I don't know the full language, but when I'm having a moment, it's like, I want to know you. I want to yada you. And the word is, here am I, hineni. I am here. It's when someone recognizes that someone is calling out to them and that they want to be heard. It's a very powerful statement. And when you look at the the kind of the the, the mountain people of faith, the heroes of the faith, like tonight's the Super Bowl, and there's going to be some amazing athletes, both quarterbacks, young quarterbacks. Well, one's not too young, but great athletes, some heroes of the athletic world. But when we look at the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament between Genesis, Exodus, Samuel, and Isaiah, there's 17 profound encounters When God calls out to a certain individual, and that individual says, Hineni, here I am. I am here. Hineni accomplishes two things. The caller trying to get the attention of one, and the one wanting to be recognized. And what I love about the word Hineni, it's not calling to attention to accomplish something like a soldier. It's like we talked about last week, yada, that it's a very relational, intimate word. Here I am, God. I recognize your calling. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to be heard by you. It's like the relationship between a a parent and a child. If you look at Genesis chapter 22 and 27, you see this interplay between a father and a child, a parent and a child, that the parent calls out to the child and the child calls out to the parent. And in both situations, they say, Hineni, here I am. 
I am here. And oftentimes when we think about God, it's all about performance. It's all about accomplishing something. But I love what we had studied last week when the psalmist said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was, going, as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And I love when you really study scripture and we get away from our, our cognitive thinking, our information overload. We see a God who is not only relational, but is intimate. It's not about a transaction, but it's about an interaction with the one who created us and made all of our innermost being. I love what I, about this whole endeavor is that when, when Samuel heard the voice calling, he wasn't terrified. The only time he probably had a little fear in him was when? Was when Eli said, hey, it ain't me. It's probably God. Whoa, just went to a whole nother level. And yes, to believe, to comprehend that the living God wants to, to communicate us with us, there is a sense of overwhelmingness, awe, a healthy sense of fear. But it shouldn't deter us nor scare us away. I love what Eli did. He, he actually coached Samuel in the moments. Parents, are you coaching your kids to love Jesus? Are you coaching your kids to, to be aware, to be sensitive, to hear, to hear the voice of God, to feel the holy nudge of God? One of my favorite moments on Friday night was Tyler. Was Tyler, your little Tyler. That dude's got this little look in his eyes, if you know Tyler, right? It's one of those things, like one time I was playing ball with him in his house, and his mom said, don't ever play ball in his house. And Tyler gave that little look. Tyler sure has that little look. And he takes the ball and he just chucks it at me. And then he looked over at his mom and he shook his head. But what I loved, what I loved, on Friday night, when Tyler showed up, he was just kind of like a little, like little stiff. And then he saw mommy and daddy. Breaking it down. Mommy broke it down a whole lot more than daddy did. But, but, but Eddie was having just as much fun. Next thing you know, he's ushering the cars, dancing down the, dancing down the pathway, dancing down the, 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 here in the parking lot. And he was going crazy. Imagine the discipleship moments that you two had in the car. Imagine that, that when he's about to go off his rocker and he say, hey, remember how we love people like we love people that Friday night? Let's love those who are the most unlovable in your life, Tyler. Discipleship moments. And I love what Eli said. He said, he said, go back. Respond. Respond to God. When I was studying up on Hineni, I like to study very broadly. I don't like staying in one camp. I like to kind of just read everything. And I read something from a, from a Jewish website, and I love what one of the authors had written about another author. And some of you are going to think this a little sick, but there's, there's a real truth to this. 
Why is it that when I talk to God, it's called prayer? But when God talks to me, it's called schizophrenia. Seriously. Why is it, and I'm not mocking that. I'm being serious. Why is it that when we pray, we talk to God, we're saying, like, that's normal. But when God speaks to us, there must be something wrong. Something's not right. Because we, even as the church have lost the ability to believe that God speaks today. Sad. And I think back in history, how many people may have really been hearing the voice of God and people have classified them wrong? Yes, I said that. One of my favorite games growing up, I grew up in Allendale and we had almost two acres. I wish we had more than two acres, and here's why. If we had more than two acres, we were allowed to have a horse. Not that my parents would let us have a horse, but if you have more than two acres, you can have a horse. And so it was our property, Mr. Doolittle's property, and then about another 15 acres. Yes, in Allendale, there were patches of 19 to 20 acres of land, which there's not that much anymore. And so what we would do is we would go in the woods, and we would play hide-and-seek all the time. And because we didn't have all these different games or tablets and all these things, we played hide-and-seek when it rained, when it snowed. We played hide-and-seek all the time. I hated being the seeker. Anyone else? Anyone hate finding the people? I love being the hider. Anyone like being the hider, right? And I really, really, and probably because of the middle child always feeling like no one ever saw me, I probably thought I was a better hider than I was. So when I had children, and on Fridays, Sue would work. She would work at Maple Ave Pediatrics. And we had one job, vacuum the whole house. And remember, we had two vacuums at one point because I would have the kids vacuum and I would delegate myself to availability. In other words, sit on the couch and watch. And they would vacuum. And I would say, if when you are done vacuuming, we'll play games. And we would play hide and go seek. Now, one of my favorite yet most teachable moments with hide and seek was this. First of all, I hid better than all of them, which I should have because I was the adult. And what we would do is you would find one kid, and the next kid would find another kid, and another kid, another kid. And I'll never forget we were playing, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to hide for a real long time. I'm going to, like, in a healthy way, freak them out. That's not really good parenting, but I was like, I'm going to freak them out. So all of a sudden, I don't remember who was which one, but you just heard, like, oh, gotcha. And they said, okay, let's go find so-and-so. Oh, gotcha. Next one, oh, gotcha. And all four kids, they said, they go, shh, let's find daddy. And of course, I was like in the other room. I could hear everything. Our house wasn't that big. And they just kept going and going. And at first, it's like, find him, find him, find him, find him. And then it was, it was either Lukey or Becky. You started hearing the whimper. And then, of course, it was probably Ben who went around and put his arm around one of them and said, it's okay, we'll find him. He's here. No, he's gone forever. And then they're like, he's gone forever. He left us. Mommy's at work. Daddy's somewhere else. And all of a sudden, I just heard the change in voice. And so I came out. And I said, here I am. I'm here. You found me. And they're like, Daddy, we knew it. Ah! And everyone went crazy. Hide and seek. I really think of the game of hide-and-seek and how we have really ruined our theology. You see, what we believe in our Western 
theology, not biblical theology. We believe that God is the hider and we are the seeker. We believe that we are the one who's trying to find God and evaluate God. And maybe by chance, God will show up. And yes, there are a few encounters where the men and women of the scripture went to go seek God for more wisdom, more insight. And yes, God would give a little space between men and women and say, hey, you need to deal with stuff a little bit more, lean into it a little bit harder. Whether that would have been Moses fasting, whoever it was. But that's not the real normalcy of what happens. Those are people who already knew God, and God was taking them to a deeper place of intimacy. What we see in Scripture is this. Humanity is the hider, and God is the seeker. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see this with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve did the one thing, the one thing that God said, do everything. I mean do everything and anything but this one thing. Why did God have to say that? How many of us are like that? We're like, we're like literally, it's like, don't touch the stove. Why? Because it's hot. Is it really? Right? Right? How many of you, like, did things that you know that you shouldn't do? Do I get an amen? amen. Do I get a real amen? amen? We've all done it. We've all done it. And God said, do everything. And they did that one thing. And Adam and Eve hid. The first game of hide and seek happened in Genesis chapter 3. And we've been playing the game Adam and Eve has since the beginning of time. And God said, Adam, Eve, where are you? And it was probably like Adam, like, you know, mimicking like Eve's voice. We're over here. Look about Moses. When he ran away from Egypt, he thought he was doing the, the right thing, and he, and he did something that he shouldn't have done. God didn't ask him to commit murder. God asked him to stand up for the people of Israel. But in his wrongdoing, he ran away. And one day when he was a shepherd and probably lost a sheep, God shows up in a burning bush and he says, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And Moses said, Hineni. We look at Peter. Here you had the one that said, Jesus, I got your back. I'll never leave you. I'll never, I'll never betray you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows this many times, you will deny me. And Peter went back to doing what he used to do, which was fishing. And he was living in a place of guilt and a place of shame, and he was out on a boat, and Jesus shows up to the shore, and he says, hey, guys, throw the net on the other side. We've been fishing all night. And they threw the net on the other side, and Peter said, hey, And he jumped in the water, and he swam to the shore. And David after being a man after God's own heart, had made some really poor, disastrous decisions. He came to say this as an older man. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? God 
is seeking you out. And he loves you so much that he's going to keep seeking you until you declare, Hineni. And we can run and we can hide, but I think it was Aretha Franklin who said it best, there's nowhere to run to, baby. There's nowhere to hide. Because God is the lover of our souls. I think about this whole idea of, of hiding. And what we do is we just, in our Christianity, I think sometimes we become, if I can say this, Christianity stupid. Would you all repeat that with me? Christianity stupid. Say it really loud. Christianity stupid. Anyone agree with me with that? Thank you. And what we do is we, we really narrow down this understanding of God and we try to like simplify it so much that we become Christianity stupid. There are reasons why people are hiding. And it's more than ignorance or willful choice. And what we see all throughout scripture, and this is something that I really want to identify, because we live in a world and an era that if we don't point out certain things, we are missing the opportunity to share the intimacy and the relational God that God is. So what puts people in hiding? First, culture. There are cultural reasons that put people in hiding that have been a barrier to hear the gospel. If you're from certain parts of the world, there are certain parts in the world that have never heard the good news of Jesus. And Abraham was one of them. He worshiped pagan gods. There was a God for every different thing. They say that more than likely that Abraham worshiped almost seven different gods. And it wasn't until God, Yahweh, revealed himself that he realized, like, wow, we're trying to find our identity and our purpose in these things that aren't even really alive, but yet they all point back to you. What about environments? Samuel grew up in a home that, that was religious, and yet they never heard the voice of God. And right now, I think that's one of the biggest detriments in the United States. Do you know what New York State is called? It's actually called historically, and I'm not talking ch church history. I'm talking American history. It's, it's the burnt out district. Because revivalists kept going up and down, 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 saying the same message, not bringing any life transformation. And so the environment is, God's done. It's old news. Let's just be really good moral people. God did not call us to morality. He called us to holiness. He did not call us to be really good moral people. He called us to emulate and reflect his character. What about this? Circumstantial. There are circumstances. When you hear the word circumstance, it's both a, it's both a positive and negative word. So it's actually a neutral word. There are some really positive circumstances. There's some really negative circumstances. Joseph, Joseph was abducted. I mean, when you study the life of Joseph, that poor man had a really hard life. He was from a, bro a broken home. His mother passed away. His father remarried, and he, and he had like all these brand new siblings that all picked on him. They threw him in a ditch because they were jealous, and of course he shot his mouth off, right, like every young brother does, Right? This happens. They abduct him and they take him away. 
and he was put in an island. And yes, there are circumstances in humanity's life that cut off and make a barrier between the gospel and them. And we need to be more sensitive than ever to people's circumstances so that we can be gospel presence so we can share the gospel love of Jesus. But then there's one more. Willful. Yes, there are some times that we just make really poor, wrong choices. David, a man after God's own heart, his lust drove him one day when he was supposed to be at battle to go over the balcony, and when he went over the balcony, he saw a naked woman bathing. And I bet you a hundred times he saw a naked woman bathing. But this one time he didn't turn his head. Men and women, turn your head. That sometimes is the most holy thing you can do. And he just fell and fell and fell and fell deeper and deeper into sin. And then one day, the prophet said, David, this has ruined your life. It took him a year to see that. But here's what you look at when you look at culture, environment, circumstances, and even willful decisions. In each one of them, God is calling us out of hiding. He's calling us out of hiding. And you know how he's calling us out of hiding? John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave, he sent his son, one and only, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son. God sent himself into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And when you come out of hiding, God is using you to bring other people out of hiding. Here I am. Each one of those situations that I brought up, there's 17 profound, kairos, defining moments where God calls out, where are you? I am here. And 17 times, God got their attention. Do you know how many times the word Hanani is actually really used? It's used over 200 times, but 178 times is in relationship to communication, to a conversation. But 17 times God is saying, I found you. I see you. I love you. Whether it's David and his sin, or whether it's Abraham worshiping pagan gods, whether it's Samuel and his naivety, no matter who it is, God is saying to all of us, I see you. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? Here I am. Here I am, Lord. It is I, Lord. This is a good Catholic hymn. I have heard you calling in the night. Here I am, Lord. It is I, Lord. I hear you calling in the night. 
You know, God speaks beautifully sweet in the middle of the night. My prayer is that God would wake you up. Wake you up. Can I tell you about a really cool encounter I had one time? Again, this is years of walking with Jesus, so I want to be careful how I share this. One, one morning, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning, and I heard this like, like hardcore banging on the door. And I popped up, and I swear on my life, I go, huh, someone's here. And I heard God say this, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? And I remember lying in bed and be like, wow, my God loves me. The whisper wasn't working. So he made a spiritual sound of a knocking on a door. Are you willing to say this morning, here I am. I recognize you're calling me. But it's not only that, it's, it, there's a response God is calling us because he's drawing us into a deep, intimate relationship. But what I love is that when you have this divine encounter, one like these 17 individuals had, there's a response. Samuel was sent to shepherd God's people and anoint two different kings. Abraham was sent to start a new nation, even though he was a foreigner. Moses was sent to release the people of God. Isaiah was sent to prophesy about Christ. And Peter was sent to go start the church. God uses broken, frail human, human beings to do supernatural things because they long to be in a supernatural relationship with him. God is calling you today for two reasons. One, to know that he has a new identity for you that's identified as a son or daughter of God. And all you need to do today is say, Hineni. There's no magic prayer. In Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, all you need to say is, here I am, Lord. It is I, Lord. And then he said, say, good, let's go. Let's go on the adventure of your life. I want to invite the band to come forward. This is a very pastoral message. Think about what I talked about last week, yada. God wants us to know him. And he wants us to know that we're known by him. Watch how I'm putting these together. And when we get to know that it's the voice of God calling us, this is what he wants us to say. Hineni, here I am. I want to know you. I know you. And you are known by me. Amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. 
For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.